Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Hey, good morning. Um, honestly, happy 4th of July. Really glad that you guys are here. Um, if you're a guest, man, we really are honored that you would be with us today. My name is Ben. Um, I'm one of the pastors here as well. I get to serve as the lead pastor here. And um, man, just excited that you guys are here. So we are, have been in the book of Mark, and the gospel of Mark is amazing. It's been really good for our church um, in Frontline. Uh, as most of you know, we, we preach through the Bible. And Mark is one of those that's going to take us about a year. And um, I think we're about a quarter of the way through it at this point. I'm not sure. Um, but we're taking a break from Mark today and uh, because it's just a holiday Sunday. We usually have two services. We usually have kids down in kids' church. And I am really stoked that kids are in the room with us. I might be the only one. I think every parent in here is like, what are you trying to do, man? Do you want us to leave the church over this? Well, just stop being so dadgum grumpy. <laughs> Look at these kids. Jesus said, let the little kids come to me. I'm, we're just trying to be imitators up here. So I'm just really glad all the kids are in the room. Kids, listen to me. We're glad that you're here with us. So welcome. Welcome, little kids. Okay, anyway, we're taking a break from Mark. Um, if I'd have thought ahead, we'd have done like a children's church thing down front or something, man. I can't believe I missed that. We're taking a break from Mark. We're going to be in Jeremiah um, 29 today, as you just read, and it's, it's a little bit of a peculiar passage to be in on the 4th of July, but it feels like it's a really important for us as a church to understand just the reality of what's happening in Jeremiah and what it means for us today. 4th of July is an incredible day. We remember what happened with the signing of the Declaration of Independence as a country, and ever since that happened in 1776, man, America has been, it really has been a beacon of hope to the rest of the world. I, I'm a patriot, I love our country, I know that you guys do as well, I'm grateful to be here. My grandpa, who is my hero, his name is John Wesley Smith, even if that was just, the only thing he did was have a good name, that would be enough to be my hero. That's pretty solid, John Wesley Smith. He fought in World War II, Purple Heart, several medals, um, he was the town hero. Everybody knew me as my grandpa. Everybody knew me as John Wesley Smith's boy. And it's the proud, it's like the proudest name that I carry to this day. I love him. He's a man that loved Jesus. He was full of compassion and, um, but also like didn't play no games, you know, <laughs> he was just an incredible, incredible man. I'm so proud to be in this country. I'm proud of what our guys that have served in our military have done. If you've been in the military and you're in this room, man, we love you. We're grateful. Um, but there's a reality that we've got to face here today. As much as we can love our country and be grateful for where God has placed us, there is a reality that I'm just going to say 
And it might be a little bit of a shocker, but if you're a Christian in the room, you have experienced this. The reality is, is that America ain't heaven. It ain't heaven. America is, there's something that we keep chasing after that's this idealistic view of this perfect God and country. And we're always disappointed in how little it looks like that at times. Have you ever wondered that? It's like maybe post-World War II when, when America was just on the rise and Industrial Revolution, all these great things happened. Maybe we could point to that moment as like, okay, that was the most idealized version of our country that we can imagine. But even if that was true about that time, which it wasn't, America wasn't even perfect then, we still, it's like, why is it taking us so long to get back to that? The country we live in is not perfect. It's not Eden. It's not heaven on earth. There's lots of things wrong with it. And we keep chasing our tail and living in this imaginary world where we like to sort of prescribe this perfection to the country we're in. If you're a Christian in the room, the bottom line is this. You are first and foremost and primarily a citizen of a different country than America. You are a citizen of heaven and it has a king. King Jesus. And so we submit to him. And we look to the day when he's going to come and make all things new and restore new heavens and new earth. And Jeremiah 29 is this moment in history where the people of God were exiled from their home. What had happened was, was Jerusalem or Israel essentially had fallen to Babylon. Babylon was in some ways like a representation of all that is evil in the world. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and he overthrew Jerusalem, overthrew Israel. And men, it seemed like God has lost us and we have lost God. And they went out into the wilderness, and all of these false prophets were saying, you're going to be in the wilderness for a short amount of time. But the prophet of God, Jeremiah, who was known in the Bible as the weeping prophet because he had to say so many hard things to the people of God, he told them this via God. He says, build houses. Set up homes in the wilderness. Give your daughters away in marriage and your sons away in marriage and till the ground and cultivate it and do what is unthinkable. This is what I'm about to tell you would be unthinkable to them. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon overthrew them and God comes in and says, Seek the welfare of the city that you are in, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is God totally shockingly telling his people, this is not going to be a short stint in the wilderness. This is actually my plan for you throughout time. Seek the welfare of your enemies. Seek the welfare of the place that you live. United States of America is where we live. <laughs> and Shawnee is where we live. And Seminole County and Seminole is where we live. And Lincoln County and Prague and Earlsboro and Dale and Meeker and all these other places. I don't know where you came from, but that's where you live. Seek the welfare of the place that you live. And just know this. Where you live ain't the new heavens and new earth. 
It never will be until Jesus comes back. It's always going to be less than glory. Seek the welfare. So we're going to jump into Jeremiah 29 today. I think it's going to help us a lot. I would ask you just please pay attention. And um, man, let's at least be open to the fact that maybe we get this wrong sometimes. And maybe we need God the Holy Spirit to come and help us see how to live in this world. The church has a mission The mission of the church is not to retreat from the town. The mission of the church is not to, um, in some ways, um, sort of hold their nose up to the town. The mission of the church is not to have animosity towards the town. Be in the world, but not of it. If we retreat from the town that we're in, then we become that place that nobody knows for those people that nobody knows, and we become the people that we don't know that, those people. We don't know anybody outside of our ideals. And so everything we believe about God or the world or whatever gets convoluted, and we just build this shelter around us. And the whole city, the whole town as well, says, well, they've got a shelter built around them. I can't get to God. We can't retreat from the town, and at the same time, we can't have animosity towards the town and the neighborhood we live in. We can't see ourselves as something so much other than them. We are other. We are set apart, but the only thing that sets us apart from people that don't know Jesus is God decided to save you and put his grace on you. That is what sets us apart. Grace sets us apart. So to live in grace means we don't have animosity towards our town. We seek the welfare of the place that we live. That's the church's role, is to be set apart and be righteous and pursue righteousness and at the same time, be in your town. Don't just build a bubble around yourself. Be in it. Know people. Build houses. Cultivate the garden. The first thing I want you to see that is this, is like, it's not some random coincidence that you are where you are. It's not. God is sovereign over us in the place that we live. Look at Jeremiah 4, uh, 29, 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Imagine hearing that as a, a Jewish person in this day. Babylon has overthrown you. Babylon, the enemies of God are now um, the ones who rule over your countryside. And God himself, the identifier of your identity, says, I did that. I sent you into Babylon. To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God is sovereign over our lives. He's sovereign over the place that we live. And if you are a Christian, your life belongs to Jesus. He's the author of your faith. He's the perfecter of your faith. He's the one that governs your life. He's not playing some silly game. He's not a capricious God. He's not playing a game with our lives and his kingdom. You were chosen by God to be here because he loves you, because he wants you to follow him, and because he loves this town. And he wants his kingdom to advance. Our identity is solely wrapped up in who God is and who we are because of it. That's the charge today. Don't forget who you are. Remember who you are. And there's that old cheesy church thing. 
Remember whose you are. And we heard that a lot, but that's a real statement. You belong to Jesus. If you are a Christian in the room, that's who you belong to. He says where to go and what to do, and you say, okay. One of the things we say a lot around here is if, if you are making God other, anything other than what you see in this Bible that he wrote to reveal himself, then you're forming a God in your image. And what it means to submit to God means that we submit to him in all aspects of life in the way that he created the whole world, the way that he created genders, the way that he created sexuality, the way that he created everything. We submit to him. And if at times we say, I don't agree with the way God does stuff. Well, if you follow Jesus, that means you are primarily a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and he is the king of the kingdom of heaven. And so you submit to him, and the way that you do that is if you get in an argument with God about the way that he should or shouldn't do things, then your pursuit is to pursue losing the argument. Submit to him in all things. He's sovereign over your life. It's not by some coincidence that you're here today. It's not by some coincidence that you live where you live. Our identity is in him. It's not found in a culture or city. It's found in Jesus. And we need the reminder that he has adopted us, not culture, not the world around us. We are his. He adopted us. We belong to him and placed us where we're at so that we can influence it for the kingdom. So many turn away from the church and turn to culture because they've forgotten who they are or they never knew to begin with. The gods of culture, which are things like sex and political party and even job and income and desires and family and all of those things, man. They're hungry. They want to devour us. They they want to change our name. They want to adopt us and conform us to their image. But you belong to Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? All of those things are after you all the time. They, they want to be God to you. They want to adopt you and change your name and make you look like them. But you belong to Jesus. You've already been adopted. And so the markers of Someone who's adopted into the world is different than our markers. Our markers are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our adoption. Remember who you are. You're not adopted by this world. Our identity is in the one that purchased us and has now seated us with him in heavenly places. He is the source of our life and communion. Because this is true, we can be in the city as elect exiles, but not be of the city. So God's sovereign over us. And the second thing I want you to see is we work for the peace of our town. In verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seeking peace in the city is not apathy. Apathy is not seeking peace. To seek something means that we actually pursue it. That means that we know the world around us. That means that we perk up and pay attention. We're not just 
isolating ourselves to hope we make it until Jesus comes back. That's not seeking welfare. Seek it. Don't wait for it to come to you. You are the light in darkness, a city set on a hill. You are to be salt and light into a flavorless world, a dark and flavorless world. Salt to flavor the world with the good news. It's actually good news that God loves us and gave himself up for us. That is your calling, to be salt, to flavor the world, and then to push back the darkness in this world, to be light in darkness. Don't hide it. Don't, try, don't wait for it to come for you. You have a job that God gave you. You have people around you. You live in a neighborhood, I'm assuming. I don't know. Some people, man, I'm so jealous of this. There's some people in our church that don't actually live in neighborhoods. They're just surrounded by beautiful lakes and acres, and I'm really jealous of you. <laughs> you have people in your sphere. Seek peace. Seek peace. Be peaceful in your job. Be a person of peace. You serve the prince of peace. Be a person of peace in your job and with your family and in your home and at your street and your grocery store and in the courthouse. And be a person of peace in the church. Work for your town and your neighborhood to flourish and to be the peace of Christ to them. Why seek peace in such a broken place. Well, Babylon, remember, is one of the worst, if not the worst, places in human history. They were diametrically opposed to God in every way. Babylon mocked God and hated him. They were controlled by idols. God's telling them to seek the welfare of Babylon. Surely he's telling us to seek our welfare in Shawnee and Prague and Seminole and Dale and everywhere around us. And the fact is, is that Babylon's no different than where we are. Jesus actually came to Babylon, actually emptied himself and came into the war. He came into the darkness. He came into a world that mocked and hated him like Babylon that were diametrically opposed to him, a world controlled by idols. Jesus came to seek the peace of the city as the prince of peace to reconcile man to himself and restore exiles and strangers to be adopted by him so that we are no longer strangers and exiles. He's our example. Now, you're not going to ever be Jesus. You're just not. There's only one, Jesus. But in worshiping Jesus and saying, I belong to him, then we look at him as true man. True man. We say, man, help me. Lord, seek peace. You don't have enough energy and effort and spiritual discipline and maturity in you to be a peaceful presence in this city. You don't. This is where identity comes in. What we do have is the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, who is God and who illuminates the Son. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, we can look to Jesus and we can actually have Jesus use us to bring himself, bring his peace in the world. This isn't about like white knuckling or gritting your teeth and saying, okay, I'm going to be peaceful from now on. I'm going to make everybody have peace around me. That's not what this is. 
This is about you simply surrendering to Jesus and because of his identity as the Prince of Peace and because your identity in him, then you become peace to the people around you. It always starts with Jesus because he's the author and it always ends with him because he's the perfecter of our faith. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the first and last. He comes before and after. We can't even have faith in God without God putting faith in us. Ever since the first sin, Adam and Eve, we've been looking to Eden because remember what happened with them They cultivated the ground. The ground gave way to them. I mean, it wasn't hard to find food. It wasn't hard to be in perfect relationship with each other. That's what Eden is. They were in perfect relationship with God, and then sin entered in. They fell to temptation, and then they were exiled from this perfect place, and the ground became full of thorns and thistles, and it was hard to till up, and we had to work by sweating, and even if we worked sweating on the ground, man, it still like sometimes doesn't yield fruit. Relationships are the same way. It's all of a sudden marriage is really hard. Relationships with each other are really hard. And even fighting for our relationship with God, it's like it's not as easy as it was. There's not this perfect communion. And ever since man was cast out of Eden, we've been looking for Eden again. A lot of us carry the frustration of that longing in our lives, and we expect people to be the perfect mate. We expect people to be the perfect relationship or the perfect companion or We expect the ground to just give us what we want. And so we get frustrated with each other. And this happens in the church all the time. When people are less than what they should be, it gets frustrating. I had a conversation with some really incredible people last night. It was a 4th of July thing. And um, we were just talking about how imperfect the church is, you know, and I said, you know, one of the things that I think about all the time is like, if I, if I ever did find a perfect church, which I never will, um, if I ever did, it would become like dramatically imperfect as soon as I stepped through the door. And it's the same for you and for me. It's, we keep looking for this perfect thing. And the way that we combat all of that stuff in us and in our church is we seek peace. We seek peace. And it it becomes so dramatic when someone lets us down because you know what? You've let somebody down. That's the perspective of identity in Jesus is, of course people are going to let you down. You know why? Because they need a Savior. They're sinful just like you are and just like I am. Seeking peace, not just in this theoretical world around us, but in our personal relationships with each other. It says this, because in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And that's an interesting thing, because I think that some of us are so frustrated right now, and some of the reason we keep hitting this wall is because we are not seeking peace in the welfare of the city, the welfare of our relationships. Because in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Stop looking over the fence. Stop trying to find greener grass. Be where you are. And know that I'm here, so I'm called to be here. Until God changes that, then you'll be called somewhere else. Be where you are. Be in the marriage that you're in. Be in the relationships that you're in. Be in the church that you're in, the community group, and 
Be in it, man. Be in it. Idealism isn't reality. It's a soul killer. And this is not just unique to you guys. I mean, this is unique to church leaders as well. I, I'm always reminded of this. First Peter 5.2. The first part of that says, now Paul is talking, I'm sorry, is talking to uh, elders in this moment. And one of the things he says is, shepherd the flock that is among you. Shepherd the flock that is among you. This is Peter's charge to us as an elder. Shepherd the flock that is among you. And what that means is this, is don't look to another place to lead. For me, as an elder, that means that I, and I'm grateful for this church, man, I, we got it pretty easy here comparatively. Shepherd the flock among you. Don't wait for people to be something other than they actually right now are. But it goes for not just elders, it's for everybody in the church. Be where you are. Love the people right next to you. I know they smell weird. <laughs> I don't know. I know they probably act weird. Be there. Don't just primarily complain without fighting for its good. Listen, there's nothing more frustrating, nothing worse than an armchair quarterback. That's someone with a lot of opinions but no skin in the game. Be in the game. Don't just complain. Be in it. Be in it. Fight for peace of the place that you're in. Seek peace with the church. Don't look to Eden. Seek peace with work. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Your job is a place of worship. I love this quote from Dorothy Day. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be a drunk or, and disorderly in his leisure hours and then to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Seek peace in your work. Where God put you is a place for you to work hard and cultivate the hard ground that's gonna have thorns and thistles. Seek peace. Be the hardest worker, man. Be, be the guy, be the woman that everybody wants to be around that can, can be totally trustworthy in the place that you live and work. Colossians 3. Whatever you do, no matter what it is, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Seek peace in work. Seek peace in family. Family is one of the ways that we preach the gospel to the world. It's a place of rest and refuge. It's a place where we hang on to each other. That's your church family, your immediate family, the family of the cross. We're called to multiply this peace into the world. It's part of the family of God. We're meant to spread the gospel of grace from our family to our neighborhoods, schools, businesses, bars, restaurants. And then seek peace in prayer and pray to the Lord on its behalf or in its welfare, you will find your welfare. When Second Chronicles tells us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear their prayer and I will heal their land. That's a promise of God. Let's be people that seek peace in prayer. Don't look to Eden. Seek peace in your work, in your job, with your family, and let's be people that pray for peace. And finally, the last thing is this, is church for the town is here for the long haul. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord, for thus says the Lord. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. False prophets come in and they say things that sound exactly like what we want to hear. This is how they tickle our ears. False prophets in this moment were saying, this is going to be a short stint in the wilderness. Don't worry about it. And they sounded like God. God's going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, all of these things that were prophesied. But they weren't actually God's mouthpiece and it wasn't actually God's words. Which further lets me know how important it is for us to actually know God's actual word. Not just people's interpretation of it. Not just what we hear. I'm I'm begging you. Don't take my word for it. Go read this book. I'm... I try my best to be faithful to preach the Bible. I, I really do. It's one of the things that like keeps me up at night. I want to preach the Bible. I feel overtly terrified to stand before Jesus and give an account to the church if I didn't preach what he said. But don't take my word for it. Know this book. Know it. It'll change your heart and your life. It'll change your frustration. False prophets tickle ears and they say what we want them to say. They give us what we want and they are primarily concerned with your approval of them. But a man of the book is primarily concerned with what God says. Be people of the book. The truth is always different than what we expect, want, or deserve. And if we just give, if we just give people what they want and not what they need, then at, at this church, what would, it would mean is that we've built a crowd and not a church at all. And it's a crowd that doesn't no more know Jesus than anybody else. Hananiah was the reference here. False prophet spoke in the presence of all the people saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Notice this. He walked out of false teaching. God had no plan to do that. What sounded good, didn't it? It sounded like something God might say. But wasn't quite, wasn't quite God's actual word. The man of God, Jeremiah, the actual prophet of God, went his way. He walked out. If this happened today in modern time, this clip would be championed all over our Facebook and Twitter pages, man. We'd love to show those clips. We'd love to post those clips, stuff that may or may not be real. Stuff about you living your best life. Stuff about you being your true self and how God really wants you to be your true self. And really what God is after more than anything is for you to just like self-actualize and become who you always knew that you should be and could be. But it doesn't matter what he has to say about that. 
It doesn't matter what this book has to say. Just interpret it however you want, man. These types of clips are everywhere, every social media page. I love it, man. We, we have so many people. I'm so grateful for this. We have so many people, and particularly I'll watch some of um, our women in this church that are so godly and love the word of God so much. They're posting true things about the Lord online. They're saying true things about the Bible. And it's changing our church. It's amazing. I just want to encourage you. Don't follow the Hananiahs of our day. Let this book do its work in you. This is what we have to continue to go back to, the Bible. The realities of being a people of God, a people of the book, and not a crowd are this. To close out, he's king. Listen to me. He's king. He gets to do what he wants to do. The good news is is that he's a good king. But nevertheless, he's king. Whatever he says, we say yes to. And it's always for our good. We submit to him. We don't get to make God out of a scrapbook of our opinions. His ways and plans are better than yours anyway. And here's the verse that you probably have heard of a thousand times, but it just drives it home. And in the right context, it lets us know exactly what God's plan is for us. It's this, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Imagine those words coming to you as you've just been exiled by your enemies and you're in the wilderness for who knows how long. So I'm saying that to you today. Listen, you are sojourners and strangers in a foreign land. I love our country. Thank God that we get to worship in this country. I love the prayers that we prayed today. But let's not get it twisted. If you belong to Jesus, you primarily are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And this right here is what we go off of. So we have to be people that are sold out to that fact. Pray for our country. Don't be crazy. Don't act a fool. Pray for the country. But set your feet firmly in this book. Know God and let him know you. And why, how can we do that as strangers and exiles? Here's why. Because God is actually good and he knows his plan for us. And his ultimate plan, his best and ultimate plan, like we talked about before, what he's telling them in Jeremiah, the best plan that you could ever imagine in your life is that God himself was actually planning to come for us in Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the great divine plan of God. He is it. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Every single page in the New Testament points to Jesus. It all culminates in this historical moment where Jesus is born, lives a totally perfect life, dies for us, and then is resurrected And he's resurrected, and because he's resurrected, he defeats death, and we can have actual new life in him. It is impossible for you to seek the welfare of the place that you're in without knowing Jesus. Know Jesus. Know him. Submit your life to him. Let's stand together.